electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The Senate seat change as Democrats move closer to taking control. What are the implications for your money? Stocks already moving on the results. We discuss debate, and we'll do that about what lies ahead with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, John Najarian, Liz Young is BNY Mellon's Director of Market Strategy. Let's check where the markets stand. Dow and the S&P hitting new record highs already today, along with the Russell. It was the NASDAQ that had fallen rather sharply, but a big reversal there, too. NASDAQ's now good for one-third of 1%. That's more than 42 points, but there's your Dow gain of just about 500 points. Steve Weiss. Record for discretionary, for health care, for materials, for industrials. What's the market saying today? The market's saying that we're glad the last four years are behind us, that we've got a united uh, front from the Democrats, which, as I said before, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, the point is now you can get things done. And you're not going to get a major tax plan. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you do, because the markets go up when that happens. The only thing that controls is our rates. So here's what's going to happen. I've been consistent on this and have been in the minority, as you know, versus basically everybody, that a blue wave would drive the markets much higher. So CEOs can now invest because they know with comfort that we've got stability in government. They're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and see that Germany's on our blacklist or Japan or any other country. They're going to be able to invest in the business. So you're going to see a major, a record cap X cycle. You've also got to take a look at what this means in terms of how we look at various sectors. So right now, We've got Amazon that taught us how to invest in retail, a new way. It was a new age of investing. You're going to see the same thing, and you've started to see it, in terms of how we look at investing in energy. So the old line energy stocks, the fossil fuels, are today's malls. You're going to have to go into clean energy. We're going to see major infrastructure spending that's going to go into clean energy. It's Mm -hmm. going to go into highways. It's going to go across the country. So it's a very positive thing. Congratulations to America. And I think that you're going to see this global economic expansion continue to take stocks higher okay. with the caution that if we get there too soon, rates go too high. Liz, Liz, what do you tell your clients? What do you tell our viewers today about how you see things? And maybe you see them differently today than you would have 24 hours ago. Sure, but I would reiterate one day does not a pattern make, and it's only and we've seen a big swing in one day. So you have to think about this in two sets. The first set is the next 90 days. The next set is the next 900 days. And I want investors to focus on that 900 days. What the market is telling us today is that regardless of what happened with the Senate election, the recovery is not derailed. The recovery will continue. And when you look at just the sector plays within it, I think there will be some bifurcation. There will be some changes in leadership as we move through the rest of 2021. But there's still strength to be had 
in things like tech, in things like communications, and in things like discretionary, which back in November we were worried about having pressure because of tax hikes. To Steve's point, I don't think that there's going to be a broad sweeping tax package that goes through. But even if there is some fear over taxes, it gets completely overpowered in the first half of this year by the expectation for fiscal spending and the floor that that puts right. on this market. The, the point, Joe, too, is that you, you didn't you, you know, you, you may get Democrats taking control of the Senate, but that's still different than the Democrats having this blue wave and essentially being able to put through whatever they want. That's not going to happen, no matter what the ultimate outcome of the Ossoff race is and where the balance of power lies in the Senate. And that's why you have people like Goldman's Jan Hatzius today saying they expect an incremental increase in taxes, though it's going to be a fraction of what the, the Biden campaign proposed and maybe what the worst case scenario, if you want to call it that, would be for the stock market, Joe. Excellent point. And I agree with Stephen and Liz. If there is any change, a negative consequence to the tax structure, it is offset by the positive reintroduction of globalization. Scott, to your point, in the early hours this morning, one of the things that I did is I went on Twitter and I followed Senator Joe Manchin. And I'm surprised if, if I could buy calls on the number of his, his Twitter followers. He's got about 225,000. He's going to have certainly a lot more than that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I agree with that observation. I think you also have to look in terms of positioning within the market. I think a lot of what we're witnessing right now is not so much an internal reallocation for equities, but more in cross-asset reallocation out of treasuries where there has been a lot of money hiding. And let's highlight in the last couple of weeks, treasuries have been purchased as a hedge against a potential 2021 market correction. So I see money coming out of treasuries, coming into the broad universe of equities. And to your point earlier, it's one of the reasons why technology is bouncing today. Apple is close to being back to unchanged. Yeah. All right. So let's let's go through, Doc, you know, the, the stocks that are moving, the sectors that, mean, that may be most impacted. We were just showing the 10-year note yield on the screen. It's above 1%, okay? Banks are the best performers today. No big surprise there if you're going to have a move in rates. It's a one-year high for the financials. You've got the regionals, which are also uh, ripping today. So your thought here, as we take that as our first group to talk about today, do we have a new environment now for the banks? Um, yes, we do, Scott. Uh, obviously, uh, the, that steepening of the yield curve, it's the steepest it's been uh, since 2017 right now and likely to steepen more. Uh, I, I think another seven basis points today between the twos and tens. So that's good. I'm sure Jamie Dimon and uh, uh, all Ms. Frazier, I think all of the bank CEOs are kind of smirking, if not smiling and grinning right now about that steepening of the yield curve. Mm -hmm. um, yet it is not running away yet, Scott, which is obviously what we would all prefer is that it not just go straight to one and a half percent. I'm speaking about the 10 year because uh, too much too fast. Uh, in other words, the gamma, the rate of change would be too much for the market to take. The market can take these incremental moves, I think, in stride. But a big jump, which, again, we're not seeing today. Yes, we broke through the one percent barrier, Scott, and we've moved up higher. 
But I think as long as we do it at a measured pace, that's fine for the banks. And I think they are a big beneficiary. Uh, there are several other sectors that I know you want to hit that I want to hit as well that well, are getting even more of a boost than the financials. We'll get there. But you raise some some interesting points yep. here, too, that, you know, it's it's kind of uh, be careful what you wish for kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You, you know, rates going up, which help the banks. You don't want rates to go up too fast, which will absolutely unsettle the market. Remember the playbook that we talked about following the election, which had some very big investors pretty optimistic about where things stood. One of those being that the Republicans would retain control of the Senate so that you wouldn't have a massive spending plan that would have the potential of pushing rates up too far too fast, which would unsettle the market. So that's, Doc, a little bit what you're speaking to. Rates going up a little bit, sure, because if you do get infrastructure, you do get more stimulus, you know, rates okay. Rates are going to rise. But out-of-control rates, I know how far-fetched that may seem saying it, given where rates have been and where they've just incrementally gone up, Doc, but that's a real risk. Yep. Yeah, it is a risk, Scott. And uh, I, I think that the, uh, uh, the, the two things folks were focused on about the Georgia elections were one, that additional stimulus, that seems very likely, obviously, uh, somewhere in the 500 billion to a trillion range right now is probably on the table. Um, But I think more people in the stock market, the stocks would love that. That's a sugar high, that's a boost. Um, That goes to a lot of the people that you and I have talked about that need it so desperately, Scott. But uh, the thing that we were really concerned about was uh, before the election, a blue wave was, okay, tax changes, significant changes in both corporate and individual. It doesn't seem, to Joe's point about Joe Manchin, now one of the strongest guys and most popular folks in the Senate, it doesn't seem that that's likely. People are referring to him as the kingmaker today. Yep, well, you know, West Virginia, um, a very red state, and he is a Democrat elected multiple times in a very red state. So as long as he... Uh, keeps and it's not just him. I mean, it's Tesla. It's uh, yeah. There's a lot. Um, there's a, there, there, it's the, the, the two senators. The, the, yeah. the, the general thought here is that the the moderates in, in the Senate have have all the power now. You know, and we don't have to go through the list yeah. of the names, obviously, hold, but the, the the moderates hold the cards to hold the key, and they are yeah. they are the kingmakers. Let me, let me do this. Let's bring in Mike Mayo uh, because we do have bank stocks moving. He, of course, the well-known analyst from Wells Fargo Securities. He's with us via Zoom. Uh, is this a new day? Mike, for what was already, you know, you had this as a pretty good environment as it was for the banks. What about now? Well, I would call this the bank stock trifecta. It starts with Pfizer Monday two months ago. And since that time, bank stocks have outperformed the market by the biggest margin in over a decade. The second event was Fed Friday, which was three weeks ago when buybacks were allowed again. And we estimate that banks can buy back 15% of their shares over two years with their existing excess capital and the new excess capital. And the third part of the trifecta for bank stocks would be Georgia Tuesday or yesterday. And what that means is uh, the reflation trade is back on. Uh, That should help the bank net interest margins. And to the extent there's more spending, that can help mitigate the degree of credit losses. So... You know, bank stocks had the biggest outperformance in history year over year Mm -hmm. until Pfizer Monday. And now they've had the biggest outperformance for the past 
uh, two months in over a decade, and we expect that to continue. So today is good news for especially the, the spread lenders. Well, okay, so Bank of America and Citi are up 7% respectively today. Um, I don't know if that's too much, a 7%. You know, Jim Cramer m- made the point earlier today, Mike, you know, quote, banks have some room to run, but let's remember there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And he worries about what actually happens when their earnings come out. And you realize, well, their earnings aren't that great. So this move is sort of punked. And then these stocks sell back off. So you're going to have a chance to get these stocks lower again. Well, look, a lot of people are being very cute with bank stocks. Okay, I mean, there are historically low valuations relative to the broader stock market. So you can try to be cute. But then you have something like what's happened over the last two months when bank stocks have increased by one third in absolute terms. And again, outperform the market by 25%. And what you're likely to see is that you know, the worst of the net interest margin decline, which has been the worst in a century, is over. And the other thing is that credit losses are likely to surprise um, for the better. In other words, the losses are not increasing as much as people had expected, even before any potential additional stimulus. And by the way, the, the, light, the, the gold at the end of the rainbow is where we were before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, banks were doing just fine, thank you. And now they're on the road again. That's our theme for the year, the Willie Nelson song. I'll spare you by singing it, by not singing it. Um, But, you know, you're on the road again to the best efficiency in the history of banking. And that's with the use of technology. So even without much top-line growth, so I agree with that part of it, expense growth should be even less over the next couple of years. Do, so you have efficiency do, improving, you have credit not as bad as expected. And the other thing, Scott, that you're going to get, once banks report earnings, for the first time in uh, over nine months, banks can repurchase their shares again. So if you get that sell-off that people expect, you know who the biggest buyer is going to be? It's going, going to be the banks themselves. This is a new day for banks. What, what about regulatory risk? You know, the, the likelihood that, you know, you're gonna get Elizabeth Warren who may wanna throw some tomatoes at the banks. Well, look, how many times did banks come up during the presidential debates? Banks do not have a target on their back like they did during the global financial crisis. Banks have been part of the solution this go around versus the the, the main cause of the last crisis. Banks have uh, implemented new systems for the PPP program. They've given assistance to customers. Uh, They've waived all sorts of fees here and there. Uh, Bank America itself, which is the best beneficiary from this better rate environment among the largest banks, they reallocated 5% of their employees for the pandemic. So you're going to have, you know, costs coming down and everything else. Having said that, look, I mean, I think you could have some, you know, flashing yellow lights. Uh, Regulations should be tightened up some, uh, whether it's the Volcker rule or some consumer lending protections and things like that. That is to be expected. But don't forget the most important point. And that is the governing law for banks is Dodd-Frank, and that was passed under President Obama. So you have uh, a bipartisan law that's the governing law that sets all the rules for today. And by the way, just the head of the Fed and the FDIC, they remain in place for the next uh, two uh, years. And again, people, the bears on the banks are saying, oh, banks will have to issue new stock during this recession. Regulators will be really tough on them. Well, newsflash, instead of issuing stock, Banks start buying back their stock in two weeks. All right. Good stuff. Mike, thank you. Appreciate hearing from you today on a very big day for the banks. That's Mike Mayo. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Steve Weiss. So Bank of America, to Mike's point, 
is also the 2021 top pick at Deutsche Bank. You own Bank of America. You also bought Goldman. Correct. And part of it was that the trend in what we were seeing with 10-year rates, as John pointed out, was sort of undeniable. It was moving up. So, so I thought that the banks, of course, are leveraged to a steepening yield curve, number one. Number two, unquestionably, with my view in terms of the economy and the global economy, that you're going to see rates also you know, continue to move on that basis, not just from a technical momentum move. So what do you want to own? So you want to own the banks. The banks are a lot leaner. You've also not only digitized the economy, you've digitized the banks. So you need less real estate, I got less you, branches, but, but less was, is, it a, is it a legitimate question to ask you, was the bank, the bank trade, the time to get into the bank trade was a few months ago, right? Look at, look at the performance since November 9th, Steve. Yep. Cities up 52% yep. since November 9th. Morgan Stanley, 38. Goldman, 38. Bank of America, 31. J.P. Morgan, 26. That's a lot of good getting, right? Is there a really a lot left after that? Yeah, I, I think in a long-term basis there is. I can't tell you I'm going to be there forever. I think that Goldman's got a lot of internal changes that are going on, very forward-thinking. B of A, I've maintained that Brian Moynihan is the most unsung and one of the top executives in the financial industry, so I'm betting on the jockey there. So, yeah, so I missed it. I've actually done pretty well on where I had my capital, but uh, I think there's some upside. One thing Joe's taught me being on the show with him for 10 years is don't be afraid to buy stocks that have moved up because they can move higher and I think that's what's going to happen Well, I mean, here. I'll sum it up even better with the title of Joe's book, right? Buy high, sell higher. <laughs> right? Buy high, sell higher. <laughs> right? Right here. I mean, that, that's what we're talking about, Joe, right? <laughs> but serious, yeah. I, I'm being serious. Well, about, well, about the idea of whether no, there but, really is, you know, still some, some thing to get out of the bank stocks. If you want to do that now ahead of earnings. Well, I, I, I suspect, you know, how high is high and how low is low. So I think, Scott, you're correct. If we look at the, the yield curve, the relationship between the two and the 10-year, it began to steepen in Q3 of 2019. It's now at its highest level since 2018, and it still has a long way to go to reach the levels of 2017, where the 2 to a 10 was 140 basis points positive. So I've been in Goldman Sachs for a while. I've been in Morgan Stanley for a while. I've been there because of the trading revenue opportunity that's being presented to them. I recently in this quarter bought Capital One. There's your exposure to the consumer and consumer lending. But I do believe that there's further upside potential for all of these uh, financial services institutions. And I think Mike Mayo and your question to Mike is a very important one. I think the appointment, uh, rather the nomination of Janet Yellen for Treasury Secretary really removed some of the regulatory headwind concerns that a lot of us, including myself, had for financial institutions. So I think there is a longer runway that does exist here where you could buy them where they are now and still see appreciation. Yeah, I mean, you may get some pot shots from Senator Warren, but, you know, a pot shot is a long way away from a regulatory mm -hmm. move that would negatively impact a bank's ability to earn money or a buyback at stock, issue dividends and, and, and things of that nature. Liz, what about, you know, the flip side of the story today, and it's had a reversal in its own right of, of, of some respects, is technology. So how do we view technology now? And what do you make of that big reversal? Right, NASDAQ was down 2% very, very early in the futures, and then it's come all the way back and it's gone, uh, it's gone positive. What do you make of this? 
So it's actually not completely unrelated to our conversation just about banks. And if you look at the yield curve, and I've said this for many months, that the one thing that puts pressure on the growth trade unequivocally is higher long-term rates. And I do think that the yield curve has underpriced the optimism about this recovery. And I would expect the yield curve to continue to steepen. And I actually expect there to be some volatility in yields going through the year because it's been inconsistent with all of the optimism in the stock market. If long-term rates continue to go higher and that spread between tens and twos continues to go wider, growth stocks, including technology, will see some pressure. But you have to pick your poison here or pick what you're more upset about. I'd much rather have a wider spread between tens and twos and have those growth stocks see some pressure because then it means there's less fear in the market. Then it means we have that cyclical recovery and we have strength from other places. So I'm okay with where the yield curve is, but I would caution investors to, to really set expectations for 2021 about the magnitude of outperformance. I don't think that there's going to be a sector that outperforms in 2021 the way that technology outperformed in 2020. Mm. We're going to see a lot broader participation, and it's going to be a lot more of a sector game and a lot more of a stock picking game. Interesting, right, Doc? I mean, higher rates maybe depresses the growth trade a bit. And speaking of regulatory risk... Uh, can you say hearings and all this other stuff about breaking up the Facebooks and the Googles and, you know, whoever else that we're going to have to probably get our arms around at some point to think about the negative impact on some of those names? All of the FANG stocks were down earlier. Now, we can show them now and maybe they've reversed as well. And that's a reason why the Nasdaq's gotten off the mat and has got the gloves up for the standing eight count. It's, you know, able to fight again. <laughs> Okay, so you're still in the red, but you're not nearly as bad as you were earlier. No, I mean, uh, I've got the low on the day of Apple in the pre-market, Scott, of 124. It is back to 130.60 right now. So that is a huge jump back, you know, $6 out of that stock. When you're talking about a $2.3 billion number, that's big. Um, so, uh, yes, I agree with you, although I will challenge Liz just this much, Liz. I, I think we will see energy be the outperformer sector. Um, you know, lump it however you like, even with some of those losers that Josh talks about all the time, like Schlumberger and Halliburton. But I think energy is going to be the outperformer this year as demand picks back up, Scott. That's where I'd look for the real outperformance mm -hmm. from this day forward as we go towards 60 and perhaps even higher for crude oil. Pushing towards 51 on, on WTI. And again, yesterday it hit 50 for the first time since before the pandemic got really bad. Weiss, you yep. sold most of your Facebook position. For what reason? Well, you know, I think you're going to continue to see the negative headlines on it. But what it really came down to is that I saw better opportunities elsewhere. Facebook has lagged for a while. Uh, Google had lagged up until recently, the last few months. I like that better on a breakup. But I think the dialogue on Zuckerberg and also on Facebook overall is just picking up, picking up momentum on both sides of the aisle. So I'd rather not be there. I, as I said, I can make more money elsewhere. You can't own anything. Portfolio construction is about choices. I have better choices than Facebook. Okay. You know, the other play you've been making, and now it may seem more relevant than ever, or at least more relevant than it was, you know, 24, 48 hours ago, Infrastructure. You've been buying a lot of infrastructure stocks of late, and I'm wondering how you view those plays today. Uh, 
I'm happy I have them. Uh, you're referring to Vulcan, VMC, yeah. which are aggregates. Bought a concrete, uh, another concrete, highways, U.S. concrete, I think you had, right? Yep. U.S. concrete also, and, and that was with an eye, again, towards a big infrastructure play. And I also look at infrastructure, and as the new wave, like I referred to fossil fuels as being the malls, but a lot of the old infrastructure companies are going to also be the malls of today. And I mean, you've got to go to clean energy. So I own a company most people don't know about, even though it's a $50 billion market cap, Vestas Wind Systems, a Denmark company. I own, which we've talked about, Brookfield Renewable Partners. That's where the infrastructure is going to go. Clean energy is not only better for the environment, but it's more efficient and it costs less than fossil fuels with stability in pricing that has come down. So I think those are going to be the new energy stocks going forward. And if you're not on board, you might as well go back and own Radio Shack well, if you can get it out of bankruptcy. Let me ask you this that's then. The, that's the analogy. Okay, let me ask you this then. Do, do clean energy stocks, because now we've got a debate between you and Doc that I want to exploit a little bit. Do mm -hmm. clean energy okay. stocks go up at the expense of traditional energy stocks, the likes of which that Dr. J sounds like he likes as energy is going to be the leadership group? in his mind, of the year, Weiss? Is, is that how it works? Out with the old, in with the new? Yeah, and I believe so, and I'll tell you why. I'm not saying that, that Chevron and uh, you know, Exxon or you know, all these companies are dead. What I'm saying is they will significantly lag the performance of clean energy. Here's one of the reasons. Whether you believe in climate change or not, you have to believe in ESG, which is one of the fastest growing asset strategies I've ever seen in my 30 years in the business. So when you rate these companies, companies like Just Capital, MSCI, all of them, you know, you're taking a look at, okay, what do they own to fossil fuels? And you have the pension saying, I don't want to own those. So they've got to get energy exposure. Those will be the clean energy and why not? So they will vastly outperform as they have recently. You'll get pops as the Saudis come out and say we're cutting production, which of course they won't. Okay, because they've got to run their country for cash flow. So you'll get pops on that. But name one energy trader running a fund that exists today that that existed 10 years ago. It's always been a, you know, a sucker's bet. It's a speculative commodity so, that you can't make money on on an enduring basis. Okay, so guys in the back, give me uh, an intraday of Vestas Wind Systems, the stock that Weiss was was talking about as I ask you, Doc, to respond to that. Is that a risk? Sure. Well, you know, out with the old and um, with the new, so no, to speak, not, when it comes to energy. Scott, um, I'm sure you would not be shocked to hear that the more demand that there is for fossil fuel, the more the demand there is for solar, for wind, for Vestas, and so forth, because it's it's um, more cost uh, equalized when the price of fossil fuels is high than the price of those alternative energies. I mean, look at the ones I've brought to you and Pete's brought to you recently, Scott. Uh, Canadian Solar, CSIQ, exploded to the upside. That's another 10% just in a week. Take a look also at Fuel Cell, F-C-E-L. Take a look at Plug, P-L-U-G. When I say power, I don't just, I'm not eliminating these. I mean, I own uh, CSIQ, I own First Solar, I own SunPower. I own fuel cell. I own plug. I mean, I don't just own the fossil fuels. In fact, I only own two, I think, fossil fuel plays, Exxon and BP. And by the way, since the election, BP is up 45 percent mm -hmm. and uh, 
the, uh, the, the solar play is up 16. Solar will catch up, and it will catch up faster now that we've just passed 50, I think, Scott, with uh, the crude oil side of the trade. But energy is broad. And as I said, it's also the people that help you go out and get the energy that are going to benefit from this trend, I believe. Okay. Oh, man, we got through a lot of stuff. We have a lot ahead as well. Straight ahead, in fact, gambling stocks are on the rise today. We're going to tell you what's driving those moves, how to bet on them from here as well. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two minutes on the half. Welcome back. Let's get to Leslie Picker. She has a news alert for us. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Scott. That's right. We're a few days, of course, into 2021. We're starting to get more of those hedge fund performance uh, figures trickling in from various sources. A firm we have talked about a lot in recent days on this show. Uh, Third point, I'm told the main fund there put up 20.6% returns in 2020, thanks in part to more than 7% gains in December alone. I'm told the big drivers of performance were the activist names, and about a third of those returns come from credit positions, uh, and their venture capital fund also contributing to returns there. Now, Dan Loeb has been more focused on media and tech taking positions this fall in Disney and Intel. Uh, some other numbers I wanted to share with you as well. Scott Sculptor, formerly known as Oxif, posting 19% gains last year. Baliazny returning a whopping 33%. Multi-strap peer did upwards of 24%. Citadel, as uh, we reported yesterday, I'm told David Einhorn's green light put up 5.2% for the year. Exodus Point is up 13.5%. Hudson Bay up more than 16%. And as we've been reporting, Quans have had a bit of a tougher time in 2020. Renaissance's new numbers show negative 20% for 2020. Scott. That's interesting. Les, thanks. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Leslie Picker. Hey, Weiss, just give me a quick comment on that. Um, you know a lot of these firms quite well, and their performance versus, say, the, a, a quant and, and, and a darn good one, like Renaissance. What that says about where yeah, that well, industry is right now. Well, the quant's got way too big, and even a Renaissance uh, that is monstrous, uh, they suffer from lack of liquidity. So they play both sides. They're in and out a thousand or so times a day. So it hurts them. In terms of the other sculptor, which is run by my old boss from Lehman, Rob Schaefer, who's done a phenomenal job there, Baliasny, which we heard, and Exodus Point, they do something that we can't do, which is, but it makes their returns all that more amazing. They will only be long or short the market within a band of 10%. That's versus being like fully invested 100%. And then they use monstrous leverage. So they borrow, they, met, they leverage that by four to six times. So they're actually only putting up 3 or 4%, and then they put the leverage on. But that's their strategy. It's a great strategy because it protects you in down markets. So you'll see more stock pickers do particularly well this year, in my view. Um, so the hedge funds are sort of back. Yeah. But, um, but I'm not shorting anything here, really. I'm staying long. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, yeah, Dan Loeb, I mean, that's where Leslie began her report. At Disney has been such a big winner in a reasonably short period of time mm. for a third point uh, as well. The, the other winners today, guys, online gaming stocks. The gambling stocks are soaring today. New York Governor Cuomo <laughs> says he is going to back mobile betting in that state. Interesting news there. Look at those stocks, Doc. I go to you because you're the player. Yeah. 
You're the player here. Your long calls in Penn, DraftKings, <laughs> LVS. Yep. Love them, Scott. Um, you know, I was just looking up since the election, DraftKings, 36 percent. Penn, 66 percent. MGM, 43 percent. Win, 51 percent. Yeah. And that's before Cuomo, who has that huge population and for the time being anyway, to perhaps several months into the future, an awful lot of that will be, you know, trading from home and gaming from home. So I love this play. Obviously, Dave Portnoy loves this play. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite in the space is really Penn. But I think a lot of people miss out on uh, Caesars for this as well, Scott. And that's one to keep your eye on. It's up 54 percent just in the last uh, 45 days. Yeah, big, big gains there today. Doc, thank you for that. Let's, uh, yeah. I should also let you know the thank Dow you. right now is at the highs of the day, better than f- 536 points. Not all that far away from Dow, 31,000. Man, like 75 points or so. We'll keep our eyes on that, of course. Sue Herrera has the other headlines for us today. Hi, Sue. Hi, Scott. I do indeed. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. The votes are still being counted in two Georgia Senate runoff races, which will decide the Senate majority. NBC News has declared Democrat Raphael Warnock the apparent winner against incumbent Kelly Loeffler. However, the second race between Republican Senator David Perdue and John Ossoff remains too close to call. The Moderna vaccine is one step closer to gaining authorization in the European Union. Today, regulators recommended authorizing the drug in member nations. It now goes to the EU Commission for final approval. 50% of Americans said they spent less in 2020, according to a report released today by Travis Credit Union. Areas that saw the biggest decreases in spending were dining out and entertainment. And for those who are looking to spend... You may want to grab a ticket for Friday's Mega Millions. The jackpot is sitting at $490 million, its eighth largest prize ever. Good luck. That's the news update this hour. Scotty, back to you. All right, Sue, appreciate that. Thank you, Sue Herrera. Joining us next is Bobby Turner of Turner Impact Capital. We'll talk to him about his latest fund, which was partially backed by Bill Ackman, a famous basketball player. As well, Bobby Turner is with us when we come back on The Half. Welcome back. Our next guest has long believed that you can make money and do good for society at the same time. Bobby Turner is the CEO of Turner Impact Capital, has made affordable housing his latest investment play, and he has some high-profile partners in that effort as well. Bobby joins us now. It's good to see you again. Happy New Year. It's been a while. Hey, Scott. It's so good to be back, and I'm really looking forward to a a hopeful 2021. You are not the only one. I mean, (laughs) hope, hope is in part what you're trying to bring to people Uh, Bobby, we say, you know, making money and doing good for society at the same time, your affordable workforce housing funds are are among the largest of their kind in America. Why this area? Well, you know, Scott, sadly enough, even before COVID-19, our country has been falling short on its ideas. Um, When we think about the, 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 the facts, there's 38 million Americans living on food stamps in this country. Only one in three students in public schools are proficient at grade level. 78% of full-time workers are living paycheck to paycheck. And for this particular issue, one in two working families, nearly 24 million are, are rent burdened. 
uh, spending upwards of a third of their income on rent. And candidly, one in four, nearly 12 million families are spending upwards of 60% of their income on rent. Uh, and that's just not sustainable. You add COVID to the equation and it further exacerbates the disparity of opportunities. And, and candidly, while it's too soon to determine the magnitude of disruption by this pandemic, it's clear to I think all of us that it has aptly hit our most vulnerable, our minority communities uh, much harder than others. And it's highlighted just how fragile our most vulnerable populations are to economic, political, and unforeseen emergencies. I think it also exacerbates the government's inability to create lasting solutions to our most social, our most pressing social challenges, because candidly, as a result of this, there'll just be fewer dollars to be spent on the social safety net of education, healthcare, and housing. Speaking of dollars, how much have you raised, and, and how did Bill Ackman and Chris Paul of the NBA get involved with you on this? So over the past five years, we've raised about $1.4 billion for our social impact initiatives, which should enable us to do about $5 billion of community uh, enriching infrastructure. The most recent fund, we raised $350 million, which will enable us to buy an additional 10,000 units of affordable workforce housing and preserve it. Uh, about $1.25 billion of spending power with the new fund. And you're buying existing, um, you're buying existing multifamily structures, correct? We are. One of the criminal elements why we know that there's a huge demand for, for workforce housing. Uh, one of the problems that we're, we're, we're addressing is the fact that the existing stock of workforce housing is, is actually shrinking because every time naturally occurring housing, workforce housing is put on the market, it's bought by a more traditional investor who either scrapes it to build new condos or they improve it with new amenities and increase, wage, increase rents on, on the very consumer who's seen no wage inflation over the last few decades. Ackman has invested or he's back four of, of your firm's funds. And, and Chris Paul's got, he's not just an ambassador putting his name on the, on the door. I mean, he's got some skin in the game too, right? Uh, he does. Uh, Bill, Bill has been a super partner uh, and investor for many years across all of our platforms. He's in our, our housing funds and our education funds. Uh, Chris is an amazing ambassador for great will. Uh, this is not a, a franchise deal. It's not a licensing agreement. Uh, Chris is an investor. He's a partner in the fund, and he gets up every day and, and, and wants to be in the trenches fighting the injustices that come from social determination. What's the what's the takeaway, do you think, for the, the, the average investor out there? You know, let, let's just say my daily viewer, um, Bobby, who is looking for new and different investment opportunities. I'm looking at a, a scoop today of Amazon is now planning affordable housing investments over the next five years in and around Seattle and Arlington, Virginia and Nashville, Tennessee, three of its big employment hubs. Well, I think that first and foremost, investors should recognize that doing good and doing well needn't be exclusive. And if done correctly, there's actually a symbiotic relationship between profits and purpose. And if anything, this pandemic is proving out and confirming the thesis that the underlying demand for community serving or social impact infrastructure is, is huge, it's growing, and it's less correlated to the broader market indices. If you think about how well our funds have performed, our housing fund has collected in the high 90s percent uh, uh, rent collections every month since the pandemic started. Our school funds and our healthcare funds have collected 100% rents. If you were an investor in an office building, uh, in retail, or even hospitality, uh, your equity has been eviscerated at best. Uh, and what I always tell people is social impact funds drive strong risk-adjusted returns because the underlying demand is less correlated to the broader indices. And I think it's incredibly exciting that, and I welcome Amazon on its recognition of the issues that affordable housing uh, is, is critical 
critical to the sustainability of our way of life. Uh, and from what I read, however, is that they'll be making below market loans and grants to public agencies to create or preserve the affordability of about 20,000 housing units in markets where they have headquarters. And while this is truly awesome, my concern is the capital that they're providing is below market uh, loans and grants, almost akin to philanthropy, and, and therefore is limited mm. in its scalability. Um, I say at the end of the day, if you want to cure, really cure an issue, uh, we need to employ market-driven solutions, uh, the ones like we use at Turner Impact Capital that create drivable, scalable, sustainable, and yet profitable change. Bobby, Steve Weiss has a question for you before I let you run. Steve? Hey, Bobby, good to see you. And, you know, As well, you Steve. You were essentially doing ESG before it was a label on the, and in vogue. Where else do you see this occurring? So you're in schools, you're in affordable housing. It's a phenomenal business plan because, yes, you can do good, go home, feel great, and make money doing it for investors. Is there another sector you have your eye on, or is your plate so full right now with this, which is a, a burning need that you're just focused here? Well, we sort of look at the opportunity set as being almost a three-legged stool. You know, the disparity of income is a problem in this country, but it's not the underlying problem. It's the disparity of hope. And if hope is built on a clear path to prosperity and upward mobility, which requires affordable workforce housing. It requires great access to uh, quality, high-performing public schools. It also requires access to affordable and preventative health care. So at Turner Impact Capital, we've got three verticals, education, uh, health care, and housing, recognizing the interdependency between the three issues. Bobby, be well. We'll see you again soon. Thanks. Appreciate it, Scott. All right. That's Bobby Turner joining us there. Straight ahead, John Najarian's back with us. He has his latest unusual activity trades. He'll give you those in just a couple minutes. All right. Unusual activity time. Adak, I teed you up. What you got? All right, we've got Nike, and Bobby Turner was just talking about Chris Paul being involved in that fund. Nike, that's one of Chris Paul, is one of their ambassadors, Scott. I see April 145 calls, bought, 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 very aggressively at the 145 strike with the stock at around 142.50. I bought that. That's probably a two- to three-month trade, Scott. Second one, back to energy, Murphy, M-U-R. These are the February 15 calls. They also bought these very aggressively today, Scott. I probably have about more like uh, four to six weeks in this trade, maybe a little less, but it's moving big today. I love that. I'll hold both of these uh, and start writing calls above as they rally. All right. Good stuff, Doc. Thank you. More trades ahead on the half as we go to break. Take a look at some of the stocks hitting new highs today. There they are. Big gains across the board for United Rentals up 11 percent. Deer, Goldman and Target back right after this. Let's do the futures outlook now. Check out the NASDAQ 100 cutting its losses even as heavyweights like Apple and Microsoft and Amazon are still lower on the day. Jeff Kilberg joins us with that trade. And I wonder if you had to change your trade based on some of the activity just today, Jeff. We did, Judge. And initially, there's not so peachy of news coming out of Georgia. And that was the political reaction. And you saw 
a nearly 2.5% drop in the NASDAQ 100. Looking at the March futures, it was really interesting to see how it was bought, it was embraced. And we talk a lot about the rotation. The rotation is real. I'm the portfolio manager of the Essential 40. We'll be rebalancing next week into the industrials, but don't walk away from tech. I think that's evident today that we're not walking away from tech. The futures were gobbled up this morning. They're still down on the day, but I think there's an opportunity to be a buyer still, Judge. I'll be a buyer at 12,600, looking for a new all-time high up at 13,000. A nice round number for you, Judge. And I'm also being mindful in the event we do see more rhetoric come out of potential Washington uh, news, we will have a stop at 12,400. Risking 4,000, Judge, to make 8,000. Two to one, pal. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff Kilberg. We'll see you soon. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Final trade time. Joe Terranova, you're up first. So what I've been doing the last couple of months is implementing everything on an equal weight basis, not market cap weighted. And I took a new position today based on a lot of what Stephen was talking about, the opportunity for infrastructure, steel dynamics, ticker symbol STLD, iron ore prices at their highest level since 2013. Obviously, we've got a weaker dollar. This is a small cap company with a 2.5% dividend yield. I love this stock. I took it in an equal weighted nature into the portfolio. Interesting. Everybody's final trades today are, are up dramatically. Um, all right, Joe, uh, appreciate that. Liz Young, how, how about you? I'm with Steve on his points earlier. Uh, global clean energy. I think you skate to where the puck is going, and that's where we're going over the next two to three years. Okay, thank you for that. Dr. J? Yeah. Um, L Brands, Scott, uh, a lot of that Bath & Body Works was bought, and this stock's up 120% year over year. Okay, and lastly, Steve Weiss. GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, relatively new position. I think Bitcoin just keeps going higher and higher. <laughs> Buy high, sell higher, you hope. Yeah. All right, gang, thank you. Thanks go. for watching. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.